Church family, it is so good to worship with you today. I am very excited to be a part of this service with you. My name is Dave Mergens, and I am the pastor of Adult Formation here at Alexandria Covenant. And today you are joining us on week four of our Proverbs series called Get Wisdom. Week one, you heard Pastor John talk about getting wisdom from fearing God and the significance of deeply fearing God and how that leads our lives to wisdom. On week two, we talked about how wisdom comes from small creatures. Proverbs talks all about maybe insignificant creatures that we might think but do provide deep wisdom for us. And last week, and most appropriately, we talked about Mother's Day and how moms give us godly wisdom. And in the text of Proverbs, we see the wisdom passed on from mother to son. And I hope that you had a wonderful time with your moms for Mother's Day and that this week especially you were thinking about how God provides godly wisdom through the mom or the mom's legacy in your life. Today, we are going to talk about how to get wisdom from pain. How to get wisdom from pain. It was the spring of 19. 88, and it was the perfect storm, the crown jewel of our uh, national park system, Yellowstone Park, had experienced both extreme dry conditions as well as a lightning storm. And in the midst of that, as you can imagine, forest fires started to creep in. Now, at first, the park officials were not super concerned because they were monitoring the fires, and they were mostly contained, and they knew the direction they were heading in. And frankly, they were expecting the spring rains to come soon to put a stop to the fires. Come mid-July, it had not rained nearly enough, and it was still extremely dry. And so the fires grew exponentially. And it was at this moment that they decided they needed to full-on fight this fire. Now, most notably, this fire was the largest firefighting effort in the history of the United States. By September of 1988, when this was finally controlled, over 800,000 acres of the park were burned. Not to mention over 10,000 people were involved in fighting this fire. And over $120 million were spent. And as you can see, people were lined up fighting this fire row after row that this fire took an extreme effort by a great amount of people. But something happened in the midst of this painful fire. Something really interesting afterwards, the population of a specific tree called the lodgepole pine completely exploded the next spring. And it's fascinating because all of the parent trees were charred right down to the sticks. You can see in this picture, all of those tall standing trees that were there for many decades were completely burned out, yet a whole bunch of saplings sprung up. And why was that? Well, the lodgepole pine is an interesting tree because it drops a seed that is completely covered in resin. And the only way that the seed is released to grow, grow a new life, a new tree, is if a fire melts the resin on the outside of the seed. It's fascinating to me because the pain of the fire produced new life for this park. 
And we live in a very pain-adverse culture. We live in a culture where we do whatever we can to avoid pain in our lives. And frankly, pain is very uncomfortable and we don't like it. But it is pain sometimes that produces beautiful results. And today, I want to invite you to think biblically about pain. When it comes to pain, pain, and hurt specifically, does not always equal harm. Let me say that again. Hurt does not equal harm. Every time that we experience pain, it doesn't necessarily mean that that pain was intended to harm us. A great example of this in my own life and in my family life is braces. I have three children, and as you can see by this picture here, all three of my girls have been or are currently in braces. And the first one to object when we saw the plan for treatment was my wallet. (laughs) In fact, if I were to add up all the money that I've invested in the mouths of my children, I would be driving a much nicer car nowadays. Also, to save money, and this is really fascinating if you ask my daughter, we found out that before the braces were even applied to their mouths, they needed teeth extracted by the dentist. And when I saw the projected amount that it would cost to have those teeth extracted, I went to my youngest daughter and I said, Hazel, would it be okay if dad pulled a tooth or two out for you ahead of time before? And to my surprise, she said yes. And so here's me late one night before she's going to bed. Don't know why we picked the time, but we did. And I've got my pliers in her mouth, and I'm pulling the teeth out that she needs. And she completely let me, and it was painful. It was painful. I could see the look in her face. It was hard for me to do it. But I knew that that pain and the pain of going through the experience of braces was not meant to harm my children. It was meant to bring them dental health and a beautiful smile. And so pain and hurt do not always equal harm. We know this especially is true from Scripture, that we just celebrated Easter, and while people intended to harm Jesus by putting him on the cross, it was God's plan that the pain he endured on the cross for our sake actually led to the new life that we have in Christ. It led to our benefit. And so we see the beauty all throughout Scripture, all throughout stories, that hurt does not always equal harm. And so today, I want to look at four specific types of pain that we experience, and how each of these pains both produce and and grow new life in us, and really we get wisdom from these different types of pain that we experience. And the first one is this. The first one, pain number one, is how you train yourself. It's discipline. We're talking about self-discipline. And in the book of Proverbs, we see that this particular Hebrew word called musar is repeated over 29 different times throughout Scripture. And that word means discipline, it means correction, and it means instruction. It is a word that for a lot of people produces pain because it hurts sometimes when we're corrected. But when we look at what the text says, we see that this does produce something in us. One of the most famous college basketball coaches of all time, a man by the name of John Wooden, 
was an absolute gem in the whole historic story of college basketball. He did some amazing things. Not only had he won over 10 national championships, seven consecutively, but he developed men. He would develop them right down to the ways they tied and put on their shoes, to the way they dribbled the ball. And it was often said that practice was exponentially more difficult and challenging than the actual game day. He mentioned a quote that since the time that I heard this quote has stuck with me for a lifetime. And his quote is this, Discipline yourself or somebody else will do it for you. Let me repeat that. Discipline yourself or somebody else will do it for you. Why is that so significant? Well, let's look at the Proverbs chapter 5 right here. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sin hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. The lack of discipline. You see, the lack of discipline in our lives may not have an immediate consequence. But what we learn from Proverbs is this, that if we fail to train ourselves, if we fail to take appropriate measures of self-control and discipline, what ends up happening are eventually a circumstance or an individual or an organization will come along and discipline us instead. And so you can be disciplined on the front end to avoid discipline later. Painful in both instances, although I'd prefer to discipline on the front end. And that's the wisdom of Proverbs that we see in chapter 5. The other interesting piece of wisdom that Proverbs gives us is from chapter 25. And that's this. Like a city whose walls are broken down through is a person who lacks self-control. I don't know if you're familiar with how ancient Near Eastern warfare used to be conducted, but cities would build huge walls because all of the attacks were ground-based, all of them. And so a city without a wall was absolutely vulnerable to any kind of attack because troops come, they throw things into the city, they launch arrows, but if you do a tall enough wall, you can protect the city from great harm. Now, if you've been following along with the Proverbs challenge with us, you know that on day four, on May 4th, we talked about guarding your heart for it is the wellspring of life. To protect yourself the same way that a city is protected from an assault, we protect ourselves by practicing self-control. That self-control guards our heart. It guards our lives. It builds a barrier around us so that physical well-being, mental well-being, our spiritual well-being, our family and our community well-being is guarded when we practice self-control. Train yourself so that self-control puts a guard up. Discipline yourself so that future events don't take you down. The next form of pain that I'd like to exp uh, explain to you is this, and this is pain number two. This is personal cost. This is what you pay, and here's how Proverbs talks about it. Proverbs talks about it this way. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all, all you have, get understanding. And you see, Here's the interesting part about what Proverbs is telling us when it comes to personal cost. There is no limit. <laughs> there should be no limit when it comes to personal cost. It was uh, January of 2007. 
My wife and I uh, were, were married. We just moved out of a seminary housing. We've gone from renting, and we were about to purchase our first home. And we went into the closing, and I wrote the most massive check I had ever written in my life. And I looked at the cost of that home, and I knew what it would cost every month. And I thought, wow, this is a significant cost. But I did the math, and I was willing to pay. And I had my limit met, and I knew where that was at, and we were moving forward. Now, the one thing that I never really took to heart when it came to home ownership is just how much it costs to own a home. And I don't mean the sticker shock at closing. I mean pest control. I mean roof repairs. Our water heater went out one time. We flooded our kitchen because the pipes burst. We had all kinds of bills when it came to other appliances. And did I mention taxes or assessments that happen when the city comes through and decides that they want to rip up a street and then bill you for it? Home ownership was crazy. I finally, one time, when my wife suggested a remodel, I said, okay, here's my limit. <laughs> this, is my li- this is as much as I'm willing to spend on this house, and we're not going to put any more into it because there's no way we would ever be able to sell it for more than we're investing in this home. Now, the same is true when it comes to personal cost with wisdom, except that we shouldn't set a limit because Proverbs tells us, though it costs you all you have, It doesn't say, well, at this point in in the cost evaluation of your wisdom experience, you should stop here. No, it doesn't. That we should literally invest all we have. And that is painful. It's painful at times because investing in wisdom will cost you something. In fact, if you want to know how how much something is worth, it's by how much you're willing to pay for it. And so invest a lot in the price that it takes to obtain wisdom is how Proverbs talks about it. Proverbs also says this in chapter 8, Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Here's another economic mechanism I want to talk about. All right, there's the limit that you're willing to spend, and we mentioned that first with, when it comes to personal cost. But here is the other thing that you need to consider, and that is opportunity cost. What is opportunity cost? Opportunity cost is the lost value of the other choice. It's the lost value of the other choice. So it works like this. If you were to compare wisdom to earthly riches, the way that Proverbs does, all the rubies, riches, valuable things of this world, and then you have wisdom. And Proverbs tells us to choose wisdom over earthly riches. So what you're saying is the opportunity cost is the value you're losing by not choosing earthly riches. Now, this was a lesson that I learned very early on as I took Economics 101 in college, that there is an opportunity cost to every single decision that we make. Now, right now, we have the luxury of time, but I'll use time as an example. How you spend your time, because all of us are on an equal playing field with 24 hours, presents opportunity costs all the time. That when you choose one activity, you're not choosing another And the lost value of the thing you're not choosing is what it actually costs. And in Proverbs, we learn this. Get wisdom at any cost. That it doesn't matter 
what you will be losing out on the opportunity cost of the other thing that you should obtain wisdom at any cost possible. And Jesus was not only a master teacher, but he was also a master economic mind, and he uses similar phrases in Matthew 16, 26, when he said this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I love how Jesus asks questions that way because he is thinking about opportunity costs, and he's presenting it in a very powerful way. And what he is saying in the bottom line is this, you will gain nothing if you choose the world. You will gain nothing if you choose the world. That pitted against spiritual growth, development, choosing Jesus' way, following him, getting his wisdom, and then everything the world has to offer. If you choose the world, you really don't gain a single thing. But if you choose his life on this earth, you gain life in the next. And that is a beautiful way to look at it. It's the world versus the soul. And there is great pain because every time we make a choice, we're choosing not to do something. And sometimes that is painful for us. Now, both of those two pains that I just mentioned, those are internal pains. Those are pains that you have to wrestle with on a personal level. Those are things that in the quietness, in the stillness of your mind and in your heart, you have to decide on your own. Am I willing to give up maybe some of my own personal finance or personal time in order to pursue wisdom? Proverbs says, it's a wise decision to do that. And as you experience it, it will be painful but it's a pain that produces. And now we're going to look at two other types of pain that I want to explain to you, and these are both external types of pain. The first one is this. It's trials. These are situations that you cannot control, situations that you can't control. Now, we all know what that is right now. All of us right now are stuck in the midst of a stay-at-home order. We are feeling the anguish of not seeing family members, the pain of not being with the people that we love and getting to experience that face-to-face contact that we so desire and long for as people and really that God designed us for. We're experiencing an outside pressure that's causing an internal struggle for us. And these are things that we just can't control. Now, we can control our response to that, but the fact that this pandemic is worldwide and descended upon us, there's really nothing that we can do about it. So what does the Bible have to say about it? I do want to go outside of Proverbs and look at this in 2 Corinthians. Here's what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This specific word here that is called trouble in this text is the Greek word thlipsis. It's repeated over 45 different times in Scripture. And every time it's mentioned, and sometimes it's, it's mentioned using a different English word, but every time that it's mentioned, it's communicating things like distress, it's talking about pressure, it's talking about oppression that we experience, and even the word tribulation in English is translated thlipsis, or that external troubling pressure in Greek. Now, why is that important? Because if you look at this text with me for for a moment here, for our light and momentary troubles, there's a time limit to trouble. 
Trouble has a time limit. It is a moment-by-moment thing. By the way, this pandemic won't last forever. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, that there is something to come. Now, there's a couple examples from everyday life that I want to point out when it comes to this beyond the pandemic that we're experiencing right now. The first one, and many of you are wearing a ring right now, are diamonds. How are diamonds formed? Extreme pressure with raw materials over an extended period of time. And it's that pressure and that time that goes by that creates a beautiful gem. They don't happen overnight, and they do require a lot of pressure and a raw material. The other example that I want to explain, and this one may not be as common to most of you, and it's not one you probably think about, is called a crucible. And what a crucible is, is this. It's either a ceramic or metal dish that a raw material, a metal, is poured into. And as that is heated up, it melts it. And all of the imperfections and the impurities rise to the surface and are skimmed off the top. And as that metal is poured into a form, it takes beautiful shape and hardens just the way the designer intended it to. Incredible heat, incredible pain that it would go through to be heated up into this material, and then all of a sudden it transforms into something beautiful. Much like that lodgepole pine and the seed that's covered in resin, you don't know the potential until it experiences the pain of the fire. And once the fire is gone through and the moment of pain is passed, something beautiful is produced on the other side. So let me encourage you, especially during the season, as most of us are on the same level feeling this, maybe in different ways, wait expectantly. We can trust that the God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus Christ to die and who was resurrected, who comes to give new life now and new life later, will not leave us hanging. That as we experience this momentary, temporary pain of what we're going through, there is something better on the other side. So be encouraged by that, even though you are feeling and possibly are feeling discouraged at this time right now. The fourth type of pain that I want to explain is this. It's feedback. It is being corrected by others. Being corrected by others. Now, why is this pain so important to acknowledge? Well, here's why. Because all of us, at some point or time in our life, were corrected by somebody. And those times (laughs) are typically not pleasant, right? Uh, I, I will say this, that as a pastor here at this church, I have been going through a process of getting real-time feedback from a high-definition camera looking at myself preach every week, and that is ultimate feedback. I don't like watching myself on TV. Uh, a mentor of mine, somebody who goes to this church who does video a lot, gave me this advice. He said, the first time that you watch your sermon back you will not like yourself. (laughs) You won't like how you look. You won't like how you sound. You won't like how you speak. But the truth is that feedback allows us to get better, right? That correction that you get from other people, that correction that you get from watching a screen does produce life because you can see something that you didn't see before. Here's how Proverbs talks about it. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 15, 31. Whoever heeds life-giving correction 
will be at home among the wise. The beautiful thing about Proverbs is that Proverbs tells the future. It explains what your future self will look like based on present principles. So, for example, in this instance, in Proverbs chapter 5, we see that if we heed correction, our home will be among the wise. Here are some other examples of the text, too. Proverbs, 5 chapter, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 say this, At the end of your life, so again, your future self, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. And in this text, we learn that serious trouble comes upon us when at the beginning of our life and during the course of our life, we're not listening to those who are correcting us, and we're not heeding that instruction from our instructors, from our teachers. And Proverbs goes on. It says this in 13.13, whoever scorns instruction will pay for it, but whoever respects a command is rewarded. You can see the cost and the benefit to both, that whether you pay now or you pay later, you will pay. And we will be rewarded if we respect the command of those who are in authority of us or we respect instruction that we get from a wise person, but we will pay for it if we do not. And Proverbs 10, 17 says this, Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. And this one for me is particularly challenging. And why? Because it involves other people. And I know that as a pastor, my speaking from up front, my influence in the community, and my example that I set has a great deal of weight. And I take that very seriously. I don't take that with lightheartedness. I know that the way that I act, both in my family and in this church, are very significant. And if I don't follow God's wise advice, if I don't follow what the Bible says, I have the potential of my life leading others astray. And that goes for every one of you who have any kind of a leadership position, which, oh, by the way, somebody younger is always looking up to you. Whether you're 10, whether you're 30, whether you're 90, that you have somebody who is looking at your life that you have the opportunity to lead. So don't lead others astray. Lead them to life by following feedback of others, by living in the wise. A great way to think about this is thinking about our blind spots. If you've taken driver's ed before, you've seen a graphic like this at some point. Now, as you are taught, when you look out the front of a car, you have about 50% forward vision. When you use a rear view mirror, you add eh, maybe 30-ish percent more, and then you get maybe another 5 to 10% on the sides. But there are always blind spots when we drive. There always are. And there are always blind spots also in our lives. Now, automakers have gotten smart and have installed blind spot detectors and other ways that we can know what's going on in our blind spots, but the truth is that we have them, and we need somebody else to tell us what they are. Um, I love doing this. When, uh, whenever I do premarital counseling, for those of you who have been through premarital counseling with me, I give out a parent questionnaire. And why do I do that? Because I know especially as a parent, that parents have an opinion on how their child, their future son-in-law, future daughter-in-law, their daughter or son, how they should be after they get married. And this opinion 
if it's not surfaced ahead of time, typically comes out during a tense moment when the decision is not made to attend a family get-together or maybe a parenting decision goes completely opposite in the way they were trained. So one of the things that I do in pre-marriage counseling is this. I send out a document to parents on both sides, and those parents have an opportunity to give a ton of feedback to their kids before they even get married. And we talk about that in counseling and talk about what that looks like. And of course, the, the, the children, as they get married, have the choice to start their own life and do their own thing, but they know the wisdom of their parents going into it so that they have it ahead of time, and the parents feel that they get the opportunity to share that wisdom in a, in a way that's calm and collected. A couple finer points about feedback. Do it face-to-face if possible. And if not possible face-to-face, obviously, because of the times that we're in right now, do it over the phone. Communication is much more than text message. It's much more than an email. It's much more than social media. And in those places, giving feedback is not always the best. In fact, can lead to a lot more hurt feelings. So if you have feedback to give to somebody, do it with a loving heart. Do it so that people are going to be made better. May that be your motive to make somebody better. And do it to their face, not through somebody else. Because those are the ways that we can give healthy feedback to make people better. All four of these things whether it be the discipline that we have to put on ourselves, the training of ourselves, whether it be the personal cost that it takes to obtain wisdom. Those are the internal ones. Whether it be the external ones that we have where we have feedback from other people and we have the troubles and trials and tribulations of life that give us pain, all of those wisdoms, all of those pains can experience and produce great wisdom in our lives. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see it in Scripture. And here's what Hebrews has to say about it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I want you to hear me on this. Experience just makes us older evaluated experience makes us wiser. As you experience pain, let the wisdom of God's word surface in your life, the lodgepole pines. Let the the resin of that seed, of that nugget of wisdom, melt off through the pressure and heat of the pain. And let God's word speak into you that you may reap and produce a bounty of righteousness and peace. And oh, by the way, it's not an immediate result. It takes time. Much like in Yellowstone, they went a whole winter wondering what the landscape of that beautiful national park would look like. But given the time and given the conditions that it was under, that seed sprang forth new life. Are you with me? Do you want to see that pain, not just be pain, but also produce some wise result in your life? then start thinking biblically about it. Get wisdom from pain by seeing the big picture. Jesus saw the big picture. He knew from the moment that he stepped foot on this earth, he understood that he was headed toward the cross. He knew the direction and the painful experience that he would have to go through, but he knew what would come as a result of it. And he said these words in John chapter 16. He said this, I have told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus is the great overcomer. He overcame, and when we hide our lives in His, we can overcome too. Overcome pain. Experience wisdom as a result of pain. Let it be productive. Be an overcomer like Christ. See the big picture and persevere through the pain.